The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. It's time to face the music. It's your day in court with a people's lawyer, Bruce Hagan, and attorney Ray Giudice. Your day in court is a terrific show featuring Bruce Hagan and Ray Giudice. If you ever find yourself in legal hot water or a situation that you need legal advice, I recommend you reach out to one of these gentlemen. Bruce, if somebody needs your help, how do they reach out? Well, uh, you're absolutely right. So legal hot water is no place anybody wants to be. And so um, if you find it and the hot water happens to be related to a personal injury claim, that is what I handle. Easy to find us, Bruce at Hagen-Law.com, H-A-G-E-N-Law.com. My number, 404-202-2233 is my cell number. I'm on all the social media at Peeps Lawyer, P-E-E-P-S Lawyer, which, uh, you know, Peeps should be on everybody's mind with Easter Sunday here this week. Yes, sir. Indeed. Ray Judice. Hey, good morning, Ray Judice, 404-964-4185. I still love what I do. We love to go to court on behalf of people accused of crimes. We do handle some other cases, but that's our focus of our law firm. Uh, My son, who uh, our listeners should know is a six-year lawyer in my office, as actually was trying a case in Fulton State Court uh, for a jury trial this week. And uh, like a lot of these cases, it's been hanging around because of COVID, couldn't get to court. But now it's uh, it's there. COVID uh, processes down at the courthouse have slowed down the trial. So something that should have taken two days is in its fourth day and um, may roll over still. So, uh, but uh, great to be back uh, in the arena because trying cases is is what we do best. I, I would say, professionally speaking, it's the most fun part of the job. It's certainly the most stressful part of the job. I'm not saying it's fun for the parties because it's really not. But as a trial lawyer like me and Ray, this is what we live for. Okay, quickly, I want to just sort of pause here. Uh, Try turning off video. That way we don't eat up all the bandwidth because we were dropping out a little bit there. No problem. All right, perfect. All right, here we go. You bet. I just want to make sure it's Does that help? Yes, sir. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right, here we go in three, two... All right, I want to ask you all about a story that happened down in Clayton County. There was a man that was accused of shooting a a Clayton County police officer and a robbery victim. They're no longer suspects. The police are looking for a new suspect. Uh, Police have identified Charles Jacoby Santana Payne is the one they're actually looking for because they had already arrested and dropped charges against Arterio Crumbly. What kind of recourse does this man have after being, I mean, humiliated and and accused of shooting an officer and robbing someone when he did no such thing? There's a certain degree of immunity that we give to our police and investigators and, uh, you you know, governmental uh, actors that when they're acting in their capacity uh, as law enforcement officers. And so, the mere fact of somebody being accused improperly in and of itself is oftentimes not going to be enough to support any sort of a civil action to say that something was done wrong. Now, if somebody has stepped outside the bounds of what's normal, let's say all the evidence pointed in one direction, but some officer just 
had a grudge against this other guy and took it upon himself to arrest and charge that person, um, their, their actions might be so deplorable and, and kind of go beyond the police function and, and the prosecutorial function that it could expose them to some liability. But the, the difference between somebody who is wrongfully accused while an investigation is taking place only to later find out that somebody else appears to be the uh, bad actor is vastly different than somebody who is wrongfully convicted based on improper evidence or flawed evidence where the exonerating evidence was actually known to the prosecutor but withheld from court. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if law enforcement is operating on a good faith belief, you've got a description from an eyewitness, a partial license plate, uh, you know, it's a 78 Camaro, you know, and, <laughs> and said it was a 76 Camaro, but close enough. That's usually not going to create legal action for someone who is charged and then released. Uh, now, the world has changed so much because, of course, the minute you're charged, you know, the I-team and Channel 3 is down there and they're doing the perp walk. And that's part of part of the law enforcement's problem a little bit of getting out, getting ahead of their skis, as we like to say, when they think they've cracked or solved the crime. But uh, as long as, as Bruce says, unless the officers or law enforcement was acting maliciously and intentionally targeted somebody without enough evidence, without a warrant. That's why That's why there are judges that hear warrant applications to create a certain level of probable cause for either a search or an arrest. Or again, did the officer witness the crime? That's going to give what's called sovereign immunity, governmental immunity to most wrongful arrest lawsuits. Now, you'll see subtly law enforcement, especially in the more sophisticated jurisdictions when they have their press conferences, they'll use terms like, a person of interest, uh, someone we'd like to talk to, someone that we think is within the ring of, of people that have some information that we'd like to talk to, even though they're, they're pretty much narrowing the field of who they want to arrest, but they're using their words much more carefully initially. Uh, one of the things that I've really objected strongly to recently, uh, many of our local sheriffs in the surrounding Atlanta counties like to publish the mugshots under some theory that it's public record. Uh, well, you know, if you arrest any any police department that arrests 100 people on any given night and publishes 100 mugshots, a uh, certain amount of those folks are going to be found not guilty or their charges dismissed or their charges greatly reduced. So under the mugshot, it says, you know, serious felony charge, and six months later, it's a disorderly conduct. Well, the sheriff's departments and law enforcement don't go back and correct those mug shots or issue apologies. And I think that's I think that's wrong. But uh, there's a certain amount of self-promotion that goes on yeah, here here in the case that you're asking about, Tug, uh, involving this Mr. Crumbly uh, reporter asked the Clayton Police Department if they would issue an apology to Crumbly's family. And the spokesperson said, we go where the evidence takes us. What are we apologizing for? He was misidentified by witnesses. And, and that's kind of uh, feeding into what Ray's talking about. If a witness identified the wrong person and the police in good faith as part of their investigation rely upon that witness statement in, in making an arrest, that's not bad faith by the police in and of itself. And here, at least, the police didn't just stop at the arrest and move on to the next case. They continued their investigation. They continued digging and got to who they believe now is the 
um, the correct candidate, uh, the, 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 person the, the shooter robbed. and, and the and person who robbed. Yeah. Yeah. And as soon as they did, they dismissed the charges against the person that they had arrested in the first place. And so, you know, had, had they refused to do so, even with the, the evidence that it was somebody else, you know, maybe there's a little bit stronger case there, but it seems here, you know, police investigations are not, uh, as easy as you think. And, um, you know, you have a lot of swir- uh, swirling information around there with witness statements and um, people have leads and tips and, you know, who knows what. And so for them to act quickly and, and then correct a mistake is, is really what you hope and expect to see out of police. The, the ultimate case here, though, is the Richard Jewell case. If folks remember the 1995 Atlanta Olympic bombing, uh, law enforcement had Jewell as a suspect or person of interest, but really where the litigation was successful by uh, Bruce's favorite lawyer, Mr. Lynn Wood, a local attorney here in Atlanta, uh, was suing the media companies, and I believe it was Time Warner, CNN, that portrayed Jewell in this just, you know, horrific, dark, shadowed profile as this, you know, ultimate terrorist, when in fact... He was actually a guy who rendered aid and I think may have led to uh, limiting the number of people harmed in the explosion. And and uh, that case settled for a sealed amount of money. Uh, but and unfortunately, Mr. Jewell did pass away at a relatively young age. I'm sure it took a lot out of him uh, being wrongfully accused of being the Olympics bomber. But but that wasn't law enforcement that wrote that check. That was the media that wrote that check. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's a great example. Um, and, you know, thankfully for Richard Jewell, he did die before he had to witness what became of his lawyer and how he uh, has sort of descended uh, into lunacy based on some of his recent statements and positions and, uh, you know, public appearances. But be that as it may, um, you, you know, the, the good news here is that something gets done and, uh, and, and that hopefully the correct information comes out. Ray, what I wonder is, and certainly I would think, you know, a defense lawyer would be able to use this arrest of the other person as a way to cast doubt over the guilt of the second person that gets arrested to say, hey, look. Yeah, Bruce, that's a fantastic point, which is one of the reasons that law enforcement has become more circumspect, in other words, more careful in its words, because what defendants just say, well, you you had no idea. You, You guys were just thrashing around. You arrest this guy. Yeah, that doesn't work out. Well, then you arrest my client, you know, and so that's the typical standard defense argument. It's not a bad argument either uh, that the investigation was just flawed from the word go. And uh, in order to rectify the humiliation from the wrongful arrest initially, you just went to the next guy that kind of looks like what the witness has said. So there's already in this case in Clayton County, there's already a way to attack the eyewitness identification, which statistically and under every scientific uh, and and study about eyewitnesses identification, they stink. They yeah. absolutely are terrible. They're flawed. There's expert witnesses that could come in and lecture the court about how flawed eyewitnesses are. Yet, uh, it's one of the primary tools for law enforcement. Yeah. My father was a criminal lawyer in the Bronx when I was growing up, and I felt like every day of my life I was being cross-examined. Uh, <laughs> but I was also being uh, trained, I think, in, in right. sort of analysis. And my dad used to say that Without question, the worst 
type of evidence is eyewitness evidence. <laughs> right. The best evidence, as he said, was circumstantial evidence. He said he, he would have such a hard time defending against circumstantial evidence, whereas eyewitnesses you could tear to pieces. And, and the more there were, every time there was an eyewitness, there was going to be a different story. We'll leave it right there. When we come back on your day in court, we'll talk about the uh, subway shooter up in Brooklyn, some of the issues surrounding that case, and get expert legal opinion from Ray and Bruce on this next on Extra 106.3. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Ballou here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. This is your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 1063. Welcome back. It is your day in court on Extra 1063. Tug Coward, along with renowned lawyers Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. Getting right into what happened this past week in Brooklyn. It was a 30-hour search for the man who ultimately turned himself in for shooting uh, and injuring at least, uh, what, uh, 30 people altogether. I guess he shot 33 times, hit 10 people, uh, 19 people injured. His name was James. Uh, his, name, his name was Frank James. He was 62. He's charged in federal court with violating uh, and prohibiting uh, Violating a law prohibiting terrorists and other violent attacks against mass transportation systems here in the United States. But um, it's a fascinating story. I I think he was on the FBI's uh, search list already. How do you guys see this playing out, Bruce? What what do you think the next step is for this man? Is he just going to plead insanity? Because that's what I keep hearing. Well, you know, hard to say. This is a pretty well calculated and fleshed out plan that he had here or took some time to put together too and you know seems quite calculated now i don't know if he left a manifesto i think there's still a lot of investigation being done here i'm frankly amazed having spent a large number of hours of my life sitting on subway cars in new york city um these are not very large spaces you know and you've got 33 bullets shot from a handgun and you know, only 10 people, I mean, not that that's so few, but 10 people got hit and nobody got killed in that tiny little space is really pretty remarkable. It's, it it's, it's hard to understand. 
as some of my law enforcement friends say, they have an advantage because they go to the range <laughs> and practice. That's fair. And, and, and uh, you know, anybody can have a gun and it can go off. It doesn't mean it's good. And thankfully, I mean, Bruce's point is so well taken. Uh, you just think about nine millimeter slugs careening around a metal subway car or, a, you know, a station that's made out of marble and, and hard surfaces. Uh, yeah, it appears that this guy, uh, yes, has been on the FBI's radar for quite a while. There's voluminous uh, TikTok and YouTube and other social media postings by him, uh, anti-Semitic, and very racially oriented, uh, very much predicting violence. From what I've seen, however, it tends to be, you know, we're headed towards World War III. We're headed towards a race war. Uh, you know, the Jews dominate the banking system. I mean, you know, just the typical kind of crazy stuff. But it doesn't appear, at least initially from what I've seen now, I'm not doing the investigation, that he made any predictive, you know, attacks or accounts. I'm going to do this and this and this. Because that would potentially lead to some liability if uh, the FBI or other law enforcement is really on notice and such an attack in the subway is foreseeable. Uh, just because, you know, there's a lot of crazy people out there that make a lot of threats and predict the end of the world and Armageddon. And that doesn't mean they need to be uh, preemptively arrested for something that's just really almost, I hate to use the word free speech, but it's free speech. Absolutely. And so, um, you know, this is um, unfortunately the world we live in. And of course, um, my orientation as a civil lawyer and as somebody who tries to help people when they sustain injuries, my mind turns to what's the possibility of there being some sort of a claim here and how would that even look? Um, you've got issues when you've got a mass transit system that it's, it's not the same as if this happened at a private business, but take the New York City subway out of the equation here for a second and imagine that this same incident occurred in a nightclub. And a, private, a private business. And let's say people got shot in a nightclub and, and there was this was not the first time there had been uh, violence and criminal activity in the nightclub. There would be, you got 10 people shot, there would be 10 claims uh, against the nightclub for matters such as negligent security and failure to take reasonable precautions to screen uh, people for weapons, um, and, you know, you'd be looking into like, what kind of knowledge did this business have of pro uh, previous incidents? What, if anything, did they do to try to, um, they, they don't guarantee safety. No, no property owner guarantees the safety of the people who visit there, but at least to take reasonable precautions to protect it from this sort of thing happening, such as, do you have a metal detector? Are you patting people down as they come in? Do you have a sign up that says no weapons allowed on premises? Um, anything like that. And, and realistically, you know, here in Georgia, uh, we just, the governor just this week signed the concealed carry law into effect that some call constitutional carry. Um, so you're going to potentially see more folks, whether you think they're good guys with guns or bad guys with guns, more people who do not need to have their guns registered, do not need to have a permit to carry that weapon, um, you know, walking around with that and could something like this be the very foreseeable outcome of that, that kind of change? Yeah. So a couple of terms, as Bruce says, knowledge, and that's an issue or a legal term we've used on many shows. It's called foreseeability. Does the business owner 
are these violent crimes on your property, are they occurring regularly, so that it's foreseeable that you may need to up your your precautions, your safety protocol for what are called invitees, meaning I, as the business owner, I am inviting you into my store, into my restaurant, my hotel. I want you to come in and look at my products or my services and enjoy lunch. So therefore, I have a higher duty as a business premises owner to an invitee. I have to provide at least a minimum of safety, whether it's you know, that the floors are properly cleaned and mopped and not slippery or that the, the chairs don't collapse because they're rickety or old. Or as Bruce is pointing out, we've had so many armed robberies in this restaurant, you know, maybe I need to put a security guard at the door. Uh, you create a duty of care that every business owner owns to every invitee as opposed to a trespasser. So at the evening, we close down the business and somebody tries to climb through the, the ceiling and falls and breaks his leg because my ceiling wasn't strong. I don't really owe anything to that burglar, that trespasser. But if a client was injured or a patient or an invitee, then we may have a higher duty of care. That's why you should always have premises liability insurance. And you should have, as we always stress, as a business owner, med pay coverage so that even if you're invitee, your your guest at your premises or your business is injured and it's really not your fault, that coverage would pay their medicals at least to a limited amount. I kind of call it courtesy coverage, and it's a way to keep from being sued. Yeah, and so there's still, you, you can't just set traps on your property and say that, well, that person was a trespasser, so, you know, they, they can get injured in the trap that I left for them, and I'm not responsible, um, because there is some conduct that's still uh, and some duty you owe even to a trespasser, but it's it would have to be like you are going out of your way. They call it willful and wanton conduct, and and, and it makes a difference, a huge difference, how you're characterizing the person who's there at the business. So this is a, a story from a case that I read uh, just came out from the Court of Appeals this week, Georgia Court of Appeals, and it had to do with a guy who was driving at night and pulled into a gas station. I don't know if it was a racetrack or a QT, but uh, he pulled in, and, and he thought it was open all night, uh, that the store itself was open all night, but it wasn't. He got there, and it was closed. And he then just turned off the ignition to his car, closed his eyes, and went to sleep in their parking lot. Um, he About an hour later, somebody knocks on his window, wakes him up with a gun to his head, asking for his money, um, the guy starts the car and pulls away and gets shot in the process and then proceeds to sue the gas station for not having security. And this whole issue came down to, well, what duty do we owe you? You're not a business invitee. You're essentially trespassing because you're just there in your car sleeping on our property. You're serving no function having to do with our business. And his, his argument was, well, it appeared to me that you were open all night, and so I had a legitimate basis to come there. Um, but when you were closed, I just thought I would pull over and take a rest here. And so you do have you, – you should anticipate that I would be there, and you do have a responsibility to take reasonable steps to make sure that criminals aren't on your property while others are sleeping there. And the court agreed with the gas station and said, no, this is a situation where there's no legitimate business purpose – for you being in your car sleeping on their property. Uh, and so they threw that case out. It's similar, but but distinguished from this other case I saw where a guy um, goes to a CVS gas station and 
he's meeting somebody there to sell him something that they agreed to this purchase like in an online forum, right? I'm going to sell you a watch, meet me in the parking lot of the CBS gas station. Um, while he's there doing this, guy pulls out a gun, shoots him, injures him, they sue CBS. But in this case, um, this guy, before the potential purchaser came there to get the watch, he went into the CVS to, to buy some eye drops. And so that very act of being a customer of the gas station changed him from being a trespasser who's using their property for his own purposes to somebody who's taking advantage of the business purpose and therefore they had a duty to him and he, they were able to hold some liability onto CBS for their negligent security. Um, something that your listeners will ask about is, well, what about the shooter? Isn't there, isn't that the one who's responsible? And that brings up a subject that Ray and I are happy to talk about of what's called apportionment of fault. That's right. So what happens on these cases is when the injured party and through their lawyer sue the liability, the premises, the business, the business then brings in, in a, in a third party complaint, one way to do it, or when the case goes to the jury for a verdict, the defendant premises can say, yeah, but really we're not at fault or we're only 10% at fault. It's the criminal who committed the crime. And I'm asking you to apportion, meaning break out the damages. So if you came back with a $100,000 verdict, you can give us 10,000, but we want you to put 90,000 of it on the real criminal, the real person that's at fault. And that's Mr. John Doe. Uh, sometimes the defendant is caught, sometimes the defendant has not been caught and is in jail or not in jail. So that's what apportionment is under Georgia. Essentially, of course, that amount apportioned to the criminal defendant is basically uncollectible. And it's interesting with the apportionment law, the defense can even apportion fault to somebody who cannot be sued um, in the case. So, so really, say that, hey, look, it's not our fault, it's it's this other entity's fault, and they're beyond the jurisdiction of the court or you're not legally allowed to make a claim against them. Here's an example. Um, suppose you work for a company and there's a supervisor of this company who just antagonizes one coworker every single day, and the coworker has complained to management about being antagonized, nothing's happened. Every single day, this coworker is getting antagonized, and then one day it goes too far, and the coworker brings brings a gun to work and starts shooting at the supervisor, but shoots you, the coworker, by accident. So now you want to say, "Hey, look, I I have a claim here because I'm shot. I didn't do anything wrong, and I want to bring a claim not just against the guy who shot me, but against the employer." And the court says, "Well, uh, you know, we're going to put the fault on that employer." Um, and guess what? You're, you work for them, and workers' comp laws prevent you from suing your employer. So the fault here is apportioned to an entity you're trying to sue that you cannot bring to court, and, and you're essentially left without a remedy other than the remedies of workers' comp. Yeah, that's one thing folks need to understand, too, is that some of these type of complaints or claims, if you work at the premises, are very often limited to a workers' compensation recovery unless that injury is caused by a third party outside of your employer or the owner of the premises. So uh, I've had some really interesting cases uh, that you think have enormous value, and I've had it reviewed by 
uh, a great workers' comp lawyer, or several that we both know, and they say, "Yeah, it's a really good workers' comp case." <laughs> you know, <laughs> x amount of months at the weekly wage. I'm like, "Wait a second, this is a million dollar case," and unfortunately, it would be, except it's restricted by workers' comp. Another situation we run into frequently is with defective products, and you know, so much manufacturing is done overseas, and particular places like Taiwan and China. And so, you'll have these layers of businesses that are intentionally set up so that the company that is designing and fabricating the defective parts has never had any contact with any American business whatsoever. They've gone through so many different agents and intermediaries and other companies that this this unknown company is the one that's at fault for negligent design, uh, just negligent construction of whatever it is that they're making. And, and now you you purchase whatever the product might be, let's say a bicycle here in the United States, and you think that, okay, well, I bought it from Schwinn and the thing failed, so Schwinn is at fault here. Well, Schwinn says, look, we just sold this thing. We never touched it. We didn't design it. We didn't label it. We didn't manufacture it. It came fully fully made already, and the folks who are responsible for the design and build are beyond the jurisdiction of American courts, and they cannot be sued. And, and that's a real problem we run into here as well when it comes to apportioning fault against entities that you cannot bring into court. It's, it's really, um, it's, it's very intentional the way it's done that way to insulate these major companies from responsibility. Um, but it is the reality that in order to bring somebody to court, they have to have certain minimal contacts uh, with the state or the United States in general. I mean, this is basic uh, constitutional law 101 that uh, we learn in law school and every so often uh, comes to play in our real life practice. As we look at today's supply chain issues that everybody's heard about, and you look at how many either products or significant components of products that we use every day are made overseas, uh, made in places that are run by perhaps a communist party government that really doesn't care if its products go out to the world and hurt people and is not going to be held accountable. Uh, and so, so I'm picking on China, of course, but that's not just China. Uh, years ago, and this litigation still goes on, there's a company called Tata out of India that is responsible for making hundreds of thousands of airbag components that uh, have all been recalled or have led to deaths because they didn't, didn't work properly. Now, fortunately, India, uh, based on the you know, British common rule and has a, does have a legal system, uh, those companies can be held accountable in American courtrooms and judgments can be collected. But that's not so true as Bruce was pointing out in the world. So you may have a big case. We may even know who made the faulty product, uh, but we may not be able to either get them into the courtroom or enforce a judgment once obtained. And as Bruce points out, uh, there are many, you know, sometimes American corporations sort of hide under that, hey, we only sold the product. We didn't build it. We didn't design it. We're just a distributor. It's not our fault. But uh, you know what? Maybe it is their fault because there is a certain amount of quality control that every corporation should have, especially if it's buying a product uh, in a third world nation that it meets American standards for safety, reliability, and uh, health and welfare. 
What about, guys, I want to ask you about, uh, like, if someone is robbing a house. And, I, and I've seen stories like this a million times. I just don't know how they conclude. You always just hear the headline. Burglar, you know, is, is trying to get into a house, falls through the roof or falls through a window or whatever. And then they sue the homeowner. How in the world is that even possible? Well, here again, uh, sometimes things get sensationalized uh, and picked up by certain elements of media that aren't necessarily based on fact or truth. And and there are agendas here because, um, look, the insurance industry wants the whole world to believe that there are all these frivolous lawsuits out there and all these frivolous claims and everybody's trying to milk the system. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners firmly believe that. You know, people point to the McDonald's hot coffee case uh, as a prime example. And, and in fact, we really need to do a whole show dedicated to all the misunderstandings and misstatements about that particular case. But, but you know, some of the stuff is so sensationalized, Tom, that I, I just don't think that it's real. And I only say this based on the fact that I've been doing this for 36 years and have never seen a case like that. Okay. So um, it, it's just because I don't see it doesn't mean it, it doesn't exist. But I can tell you, it just doesn't exist. And so partly it's because the same things we talk about, the duty to trespassers, um, the duty to criminals. Here's, here's how it could exist. And again, this is the sort of case we learn about in law school. The, um, and, and I'm forgetting the name of it, Ray, you may remember, but the, the folks who set the rifle or shotgun at their door with, with a, a line attached to the doorknob and, a, and you know, to the trigger so that if somebody opens the door, the shotgun shoots and, and kills somebody who's trying to enter the premises. And, and so, you know, you've essentially created a trap. Well, anybody who opens that door would be trespassing if they're not invited, but that doesn't give you the authority to set this trap to kill them as the remedy for their trespassing on your property. Spring, the spring, spring gun or spring-loaded gun? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank on the name. Yeah, it was the old spring gun case, and that's exactly what happened. Someone had rigged up a shotgun, uh, pointed at the front door with a rope and, uh, you know, had it rigged up so that when the door was forced open or opened improperly by someone that didn't have permission, uh, the gun went off and, and either killed or wounded severely the trespasser who may have turned into a burglar once they entered the property to commit a felony therein, which is the dis- definition. Uh, and the law says you can't do that. And there can be civil liability out of that. You can't set up a trap or put you know, put uh, a trap door where somebody falls into a dungeon. I mean, that kind of stuff, which sounds crazy, but people do crazy things. But if someone comes in your house to burglarize your home and they slip on the on the kitchen floor because you dropped a banana peel there the day before, they're not going to be able to sue you for that. So I've never seen those cases. There may be one somewhere in some jurisdiction. Keep in mind now we're in many ways, especially in the law, we're still 50 separate colonies. And and you can go from state to state and find some uh, oddball rule or, or law that still is on the books that allows something like this to happen in that jurisdiction. But that's just not a common set of facts that, that either Bruce okay. or I have seen in our, in our many years. Okay, good news. Well, wrapping up this segment, we're going to uh, get to the next one, which we'll talk about a, a lady in Northern California accused of faking her own kidnapping back in 2016, signed a plea deal, and will confess she made up the entire thing according to her attorney. Get your feedback on that, what to expect out of this case, and uh, goodness, it just seems – 
off the rails on the crazy train. I think you hit the nail on the head. People do some crazy things, and this is certainly evidence of that. We'll come back next with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice here on Your Day in Court on Extra 106.3. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. This is your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 1063. If you get yourself into legal hot water, I want you to understand that there are people available that can guide you to the the proper defense and the uh, the proper way of handling the law, and that would be Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice will get you their information and how you can reach out to them here in just a few minutes on Extra 106.3. This is your day in court. There is a lady in Northern California. Her name is Sherry Pepini. And she's accused of faking her own kidnapping back in 2016. She signed a plea deal to uh, to to say that she's made up the entire thing, according to her attorney. Where does this go, and will she be punished in some way or other because of this? Oh, she'll be punished. I mean, she she's facing up to 25 years in jail over this. Uh, she will be punished. You know, lying to law enforcement, um, defrauding people by creating some sort of uh, victim assistance um, fund that I think she collected like $30,000 from that. Um, she faces up to 25 years of prison and 500,000 of fines. Now that's the maximum sure. sentence. You're not going to get anything like that, but um, there's an enormous deterrent effect uh, to sentencing a person like this. When you, when you look into criminal sentences and why they occur, it's, it's, Several reasons. One is to punish the wrongdoer for their conduct, but the other is for the deterrent effect on other people so that they see that somebody's being punished and they're less likely to do it themselves. If somebody does this and gets away with, uh, you know, figuratively a slap on the wrist, then the next person says, well, if I get caught, okay, they're just going to slap me on the wrist too. Whereas if somebody sees, hey, if I get caught doing this, I'm going to spend five years in jail and, and have to pay a half a million dollar fine, they may think twice about doing that sort of thing. That's where the deterrence comes into play. You know, absolutely. And think about 
Uh, of course, it was several years ago, 216, but go back in time and think about how much resources law enforcement in the days after her alleged abduction and, and uh, rescue spent on a crime that didn't occur. Uh, you probably had enormous amount of law enforcement detectives working 24 hours a day, uh, evidence people trying to find DNA and the survey, looking at surveillance cameras for potential suspects, maybe questioning hundreds of witnesses potentially, and also looking at, you know, at her technology and her history. And, you know, all those law enforcement personnel, they could have been out fighting real crime that affects all of us every single day in our lives. Uh, so it's an enormous waste of resources. Uh, I don't know if anybody was actually prosecuted or, or, or uh, you know, arrested for this. I don't remember that. But can you imagine being wrongfully arrested on a complete fraud by, you know, let's just say it, by a young, pretty, white female who... What would be the motivation for her to create a crime like this? I mean, it just doesn't make sense. So there must have been something to it. I mean, that's not an unreasonable response by law enforcement. Uh, so, yeah, I th and keep in mind now, this is a federal prosecution. Uh, so this is being taken seriously. It's not, as Bruce points out, going to be just a mere slap on the wrist and do some community service. I think she very well may serve some federal prison time. Uh, now, I've looked at some of the amount of time given to these uh, high-profile uh, movie, movie stars and wealthy folks out in California that paid these $250, $300 fees to get their children into USC and other fancy colleges, Princeton. And they're all getting, you know, 30 to 60 days. I think there was one woman who's a famous actress who may have gotten six months of uh, jail time and released after 30 or 40 days. So I don't think this lady's going to get years and years, but I do think she's going to get something that, as Bruce says, raises the attention to other would-be frauds. Yeah, and if you uh, know, think back just even very recently to the Jesse Smollett case in Chicago, um, Ray was talking about the cost that is spent by law enforcement on this in the city of Chicago um, claimed that they had spent about $130,000 investigating the Jesse Smollett false claims that he was the victim of a hate crime. Uh, and they asked for that back as restitution. And so you know that the California authorities spent money trying to track down these kidnappers that didn't exist based on this woman's false testimony. And so that kind of restitution will absolutely be part of the deal. Um, yeah, so it, it'd be interesting to see. I, I'm certain she's going to go to prison, and uh, you know, being uh, a white lady with blonde hair is not going to get her out of trouble. It, it got her a lot of attention. Um, you know, sadly, there there are stories all the time of Native American women and uh, women of color being uh, kidnapped or just disappearing on kind of a daily basis. And the media does not pay the same attention to those stories as it does when it's uh, an attractive blonde white lady. Um, and yeah, she, she kind of manipulated that to her advantage. Uh, one of these days, a, a future show, let's talk about the uh, exploitation and just endemic disappearance of Native Americans. Uh, we're here in, in Atlanta, and I don't think it hits the news much, but in the northwest of our country, uh, northwest portion of our country where there are many, and Alaska where there are many more, obviously, Native Americans. Uh, there is just something going on that 
young females are just literally disappearing and they're not even finding bodies or remnants of bodies. Um, very unusual. And, um, We'll get we'll get up on the story and one of these days we'll talk about that's it. a great, great discussion for sure. Um, as we get uh, ready to close it out, I want people to understand if they find themselves on the opposite side of the law and they need help, they need guidance. I want to recommend Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. Bruce, if someone needs your help, how do they get a hold of you? Well, first, you can call me on my cell. It's 404-202-2233. Uh, I used to always give out my office number, but Ray made it clear that, you know, our listeners deserve to know how to get us 24-7. So that's my cell number. You can call me anytime or text me on that number. Um, My email is bruce at hagen-law.com. We have a lot of information on the website, hagen-law.com, including some links to um, some news stories from the last couple of weeks where uh, we've been getting, um, drawing a lot of attention to a tragic case involving one of our clients in their effort to get justice because this poor young girl, 17 years old, was killed by a driver on meth. Um, The driver has been charged with DUI but has not been charged with vehicular homicide, and we feel that it's a huge uh, breach of justice. And so um, you can read about that on our website, and um, we've got a lot of other useful information there as well. Yeah, Ray Giudice, 404-964-4185. If you want to find out a little bit more about my philosophy of how I represent folks and how our firm uh, provides what I think is great legal services at a fair price. Ray G Law or RayGiudiceLaw.com are my web pages. I've loaded a lot of videotapes and uh, things that I've done over the years with the media that sort of give you a little bit of, of more of a taste, if you can take any more, <laughs> hmm. of, how, of how we approach. Uh, all, all, all things are serious, you know, even a speeding ticket. Don't go to court and just pay the speeding ticket and then six months later come to me and say, hey, my insurance just dropped me or doubled my fee or uh, I have to take my son, my 18-year-old son off the insurance policy because he, we pled guilty. We went online at night and paid the fine and didn't think anything of it. All of those things have ramifications, maybe short-term, maybe long-term, but at least call Bruce or I. We'll give you be more than happy to chat about something for 10 or 15 minutes. I always ask, please email me the documents in advance that you want me to look at so I have them in front of me. I can give you a better outcome or a better solution. There you go. Easy to get a hold of these guys. And look, even if it's not the direct field, whether defense or um, or civil cases, uh, personal injury with Bruce, they can guide you to a person that works in the exact field that you need legal help because they know everybody in town. The best lawyers in town, Bruce Hagan, Ray Judice, every weekend here on Extra 106.3. This is your day in court. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win.
Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. Spring is here and baseball is back. You can't forget the Derby. I love the hats. Do you have yours yet? My hat? I treated myself to a whole outfit. If you want to be able to treat yourself, then you should check out the Nest Savings Account at LGE Community Credit Union, where they want you to reach your savings goals faster. Take it from a pair of 680 The Fan wives. Head to lgeccu.org to find out what makes their team number one in Georgia. 